Welcome back to the panel on RNZ National. No power bill on Friday this afternoon. We're going to go straight into uh, the, 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 the news, return to the big news of the day. Special votes have been counted and the National Party has lost two seats, meaning that even with the ACT Party, it does not hold a majority. It'll need New Zealand first to form uh, a government. So the National Party has 48 seats compared with 50 on election night. The Party Māori, six seats compared with four on election night. The Green Party, 15 compared with 14 on the night. No changes for the Labour Party, which has 34 seats. Act New Zealand, which has 11 seats, and uh, the New Zealand First Party, uh, eight seats. So for more special vote analysis, and uh, quite a few people um, texting in about who you would like to see in what positions as minister. But anyway, we have Jackie Vanderkey. She holds a Master's in Politics, was a contributor to the Democracy Project, former journalist. Jackie, kia ora. Lovely to have you on the panel. Kia ora, Yeah, nice to have you on. So looking at it, uh, have you been following this closely? It follows the historic trend of uh, leaning left in special votes. Yeah, I have been following these results um, closely and like many other people who are interested in politics have been, I guess, expecting that this might happen. Um, as your um, as your panelists have already said today, this was probably not an unexpected result with a bit more um, of a shift to the left. Um, but, but there's some very interesting elements and you've already talked about, like the fact that we've now got one of the largest or the largest parliament ever. Yeah. Um, and also a, a massive um, success for the, the Māori Party. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what's so what's next in the process? Uh, because quite a few people have said, oh, I quite, quite enjoy the three weeks off politics, actually. But here we go back into it. Um, could you Can you imagine some of these seats um, going through the recount process? Well, there's definitely a couple that will. Some of them are very close, which you've talked about. So, for instance, in Tamaki Makara, that was only a win of four votes. Yeah. Mount Albert was lost by 20. I mean, these are really small numbers. Um, Nelson by 29. Uh, on, and Te Atatū, 131. They're pretty small numbers. So I would imagine, I mean, obviously it's hard to predict exactly, but I would imagine that in those lower number votes that they, they will, um, or majorities, they will request some recount. And to the portfolios, um, Grant Duncan said, uh, so you know they'll be they'll, they'll have been talking right the way through this. Um, I can imagine uh, the next stage. It's going to be very interesting, isn't it, Jackie, to, to see as Zoe says, who gets what. It is going to be fascinating. So obviously, we have got a bit of history to go on with Winston Peters because he's held. Um, cabinet positions before, he's been Deputy Prime Minister, Treasurer, Minister of Foreign Affairs, he's been the Minister of State and Enterprise and Racing. Um, with the ACT Party, it's, it's, I guess, less clear to see what they may want, and National has already indicated some positions, even though they said they weren't guaranteed, you know, I think it, it would be fair to expect Nicola Willis in finance, um, there's been talk about Matt Ducey being uh, the first Minister of Mental Health. Um, and Mark Mitchell for police. But, of course, all of this is going to be now up for negotiation. That's that's right. Uh, and, Zoe, you've put in uh, your wish list uh, because you've uh, you've acknowledged Grant Robinson. You thought that he did a good job for uh, for those in sport and women in sport, did he? Mm, and, you know, and when his 
feet was to the fire, particularly around when we were reporting on abuse in sport, uh, he did step up. So I'm, you know, okay. I'm very interested to see who comes in. But looking at the list for national, I mean, Chris Bishop is an incredibly vocal sports fan. So I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he got that. But I could just imagine Judith Collins being sports minister. Oh, it's going to be so interesting, isn't quite it? Fun. It's going to be so interesting, David Farah. <laughs> so Liam, Liam says uh, Winston for foreign affairs because that means he can get some time, quality time, out of New Zealand. Uh, might be a little bit sarcastic, that one there. But, I mean, uh, he's got all the chips on his table, does he not, David? He could ask for what he wants. Is that right? Well, you can ask for what you want. There's usually a mathematics to this. You you look at what proportion of the government caucus you'll be in, you'll proportionally get that many ministers. So um, would you expect New Zealand first to have three ministers or so? Yes, Winston will be one of those. I don't think there's anyone who says he would be a bad foreign minister. In fact, his instincts have been very good in that in the past and with Ukraine and Israel and China. You know, someone with experience wouldn't be bad there. Um, what Zoe said, though, Bish, I am sure, would love to be Minister of Sport. But he would also probably love, I, I'm not speaking from him, to be Minister of Arts, because mm. if there's a guy who's a bigger fan of New Zealand music, I've yet to meet them, uh, etc. So it will be very interesting to see where they go. The thing is, of course, he may have housing infrastructure. Some pretty meaty ones too, so you can't always get the, the ones you really want. Sometimes you have to take right. the ones that... Yeah, so, the boss says, I need you to sort this out. So finally, uh, Jake, for those who aren't politically inclined and are listening to the panel this afternoon, what will be the big, next big thing to watch out for? So I think the, 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 the um, Christopher Luxon has said, and as have actually um, David Timor and Winston Peters, that they all want to move fast. So... Um, and, and I think it's right to, to assume that they would have been talking over the last few weeks and that this outcome is probably not a huge surprise. So I would think that they would want to move quite quickly and get into government. But on the same token, you know, who knows where the rub will be, you know, in yes. terms of the negotiation process. And um, so we'll just have to wait and see. But Chris Relickson said he's no guarantee that it will be resolved by APEC, which is the 12th and 30th of November, um, but I would think that we would expect some outcome reasonably soon after that. But obviously, it's anybody's guess. Really. Exactly, you get it going. Jackie, really nice to have you on the program. As always, kia ora. Thanks for having me. Uh, that's Jackie Van Der Keep, uh, former journalist, uh, Masters in Politics, uh, contributor to uh, the Democracy Project. Uh, someone says, I'd like to see Winston Peters as Minister of Broadcasting. Two, one, zero, one. The panel, RNZ National. When you think of the Beatles, you might hear this. Or when you think of the Beatles, you might hear this. And then, what about this one, two. I know it's true. 
So, oh wow. I'm going to make a confession here. I have um, uh, been writing about, hearing about this all day, but I've left it until now to hear the song. And it was full on my headphones. I wasn't expecting a lot. But when it came up in my headphones, in my can, I heard that John in a voice like that. That's actually really blowing me away. Um, it's the last of all the Beatles songs to feature John, Paul, George and Ringo played, uh, officially released today. And there is possibly no bigger Beatles aficionado than RNZ's Jeremy Ansel. He even travelled to London to see the EMI studios. Jeremy, kia ora. Kia ora. Great to have you in. Thanks, Lance. All right, so you've heard it before? Well, I heard the demo before. Yeah. And I've heard fans sort of recreations of uh, what they thought the Beatles would bring to it. You know, fans have taken that demo and um, overdubbed their own instruments. And a couple of those have been pretty good. So when I heard the final actual Beatles version this morning... Which is that? Which is, you just heard then, um, I was a little underwhelmed because... Yeah, it wasn't a completely new song to me, but I've heard it about ten times today, and every time I hear it, yeah, it 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 becomes more of a a classic. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably not going to be match the classics that we've heard for fifty years, fifty sixty yeah. years. And it's hard to know because you're hearing it with new ears. Yeah, it's not ears from when you were eighteen or seventeen when you first discovered, say, Ticket to Ride, or. Um, only a Northern Song. That's right. And or Hey Bulldog. And it wasn't written in the 60s. I mean, John Lennon yeah. recorded this in about 77, 79 uh, as a demo at home at the Dakota and a, on, a, on cassette with the piano in the background. Um, actually, the piano in the front, really. That's, that's been the problem. That's why they couldn't finish it when the Beatles tried to overdub it in 1994, 95. And thanks to Sir Peter Jackson and his team, it's been brought to life because Paul McCartney, yeah. uh, as I was saying, that uh, it really was on the shelf until Peter Jackson came along. Round the panel, we'll come back to you, Jeremy. Yeah. What do you think of it? Are you a Beatles fan, Zoe? Uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I grew yeah. up. I grew up listening to the Beatles. I could sing pretty much any of their songs because that's what was in our house. Wow! Um, and I think when I first started listening to it, I was like, "Oh yeah, it's a bit slow to start with." Mm. And then the strings kick in about a third of the way through, and that's when I started to get chills. And and you hear Lennon sing, and you just go, "Wow, this is." Quite I know. Amazing. I, I actually think it's quite stunning when yeah. I've heard that, and I've heard that for the very first time. That John Lennon voice, David Farrar up the front. Uh, someone says. This new Beatles song is reminiscent of Julia, which is on the White right, album, true. Uh, I think. It's, David? It's, it's haunting. I mean, because you've got John Lennon there in his 30s, George Harrison's guitar parts that he recorded in his 50s, and then there's Paul and Ringo in their 80s doing vocals and other instrumentation. Uh, you know, it's a pity they couldn't all do it together in the same room. Jeff says, I absolutely love this new Beatles song. It brought tears to my eyes. Oh, I'm actually just tearing up thinking about it. It's such a genuine Beatles song. Well, says, yeah, I mean, and you've also got backing vocals flown in from 1960s recordings, you know, oh, ahs and oohs from, really? from the Abbey Road albums. Yeah, yeah. It's, didn't know that. It's cleverly done. David Farrar. Yeah, look, I love the Beatles. My Apple Music account has almost every album, and I'm definitely getting this. But there is a slight mixed feeling. We were talking about documentaries before. Mm. There's a great podcast series called British Scandal, and they have the best scandals, the Brits. And one of them's on the breakup of the Beatles. And I went into it probably blaming Yoko Ono 
But after listening to this amazing documentary, totally changed my mind. John Lennon was actually a pretty terrible human being. An amazing musician. But when you actually get into details of how he treated Yoko with some of the creative rights and not crediting her, etc., mm-hmm. it's just coloured my view slightly. You can admire the art, but I now have a slightly negative view of the artist. I think all the Beatles had their faults, and when people say, oh, Yoko broke up the Beatles or John Lennon, that, the Beatles broke up the Beatles. It, it was time. And, but it's yeah, well, not, it, I but having said it's time, it's... More- it's, it's nice Full to hear something new. Yeah. Very good. Well, that's it there. Uh, it's uh, called Now and Then. And where is it? Is it on an album? or? What? Oh, this will be on the – well, it's, it's released as a single today yeah. on vinyl and cassette, uh, CD single too. And, but it will be on a revamped 1967 to 1970 compilation. Very nice. And a bad Jelly the Witch fan as well, Jeremy. That was the first record I ever bought. <laughs> Was it the Beatles? It was Spike Lincoln. <laughs> there you go. We go back to the start of the show. Hey, nice to have you on, Jeremy. Thank you. Uh, as always, Jeremy Ansel, the uh, massive uh, Beatles aficionado. The panel, uh, NZ National, Zoe George and David Farrow. The other big talk, of course, to today was big news in the rugby world. Less than a week after officiating at the Rugby World Cup final, Wayne Barnes, the most experienced referee in the history of international rugby announced his retirement in part because of the overwhelming online abuse and threats uh, among his reasons for hanging up the whistle a stellar career, not without controversy few New Zealanders will forget that forward pass, the 2007 Rugby World Cup quarter final against France but nonetheless it is a huge loss for the sport and I guess I wanted to bring this up because you are here Zoe, I I just Mm. felt this real sense of sadness that Mm. he's had this extraordinary career but his final shots were can't take it anymore Mm, it's um, being a ref is a thankless task, um, and it's a tough gig. And uh, you know, he's he's just incredible. Like you said, he's he's one of the most experienced in the game. And I actually right. thought I watched the game on the weekend. I thought he did a fine job. And you when did? things um, when things didn't go quite well or that he messed up, he he apologised for it. So you know, he's human as well. I, I refereed, I umpired netball um, for many many years. Particularly, and I, I think I was about ten or eleven when I first picked up a whistle, and then I. I I went all the way through, so I, I umpired everywhere from, you know, the the little kids all the way up to prems. And the abuse that I used to cop as a teenager when I was umpiring was horrific, and it would and it came from parents primarily on the sideline. and And it used to get so bad that in the end, I would stop the game and take my whistle off and be like, "Well, if you think you can do better, here, have the whistle." if you think you can do better, because I don't see you volunteering to be on the sideline. And unfortunately, abuse is not okay in any shape or form. The players get it too. They got it, and we talked about this at the time last year following the Irish series when the when the All Blacks lost. The abuse that was flung at Foster, at the players, was disgusting. And as fans, we are better than that. We are human beings. Everyone's a human being, and we all have jobs to do. And Wayne Barnes's job was to ref, and the All Blacks' job is to play. Um, and it, and if we receive this abuse in our workplace, which actually I'm sure Wallace, as you know, in broadcasting, we do get abuse from time to time because we do have a public image. Um, but yeah, I'm really sad that that 
it's come to this for Wayne Barnes. I think he's been a great journeyman in the game. He's given right. so much. And I hope that he stays in the game. But this abuse also stops other people from wanting to engage yes. and be a volunteer and to learn how to referee or pick up a whistle or be a coach. Well, thanks um, for your personal story. That's, that's, yeah. that's actually quite extraordinary that you oh. cop that as a teenager. That's, oh, yeah. <laughs> that is something else. I, I had no And from parents on the list, oh. but David, let's bring you in. <laughs> yeah, look... No referee should be abused, and it is really sad to have Barnes go out in sort of a better form. And I think the criticism, and there is a difference between abuse and criticism, but even the criticism of the disallowed try in the final, I think would be better directed at the TMO officials. Barnes, you know, referred it to them. They're the ones who actually had not the pressure of time for an instant decision, but to know the rules that you should only disallow if within two phases. So mm. I think he's actually unfairly cop criticism mm. for what wasn't really his decision there. Mm. Well, yeah, go final just brief final thought. Zoe? Yeah, it was it was a really frustrating game to watch, I feel, because it didn't feel like it got in a flow. Yes, you know? and absolutely. Yeah, I was I was actually really, really proud of the way that both teams played, um, and I was really proud of the way that New Zealanders backed the All Blacks and, and weren't abusive to the players, not like what we saw last year yeah. during Ireland. But we need to be positive role models too as fans. Nice so, yeah. Kia ora, Zoe, and uh, probably the best way to sum up the whole game, just no flow. Yeah, interesting. Uh, gosh, uh, the, the the very good director, the great director, Leanne Pauley, has texted us. Given all the talk about AI, your listeners may be interested to know a documentary made in New Zealand for Universal Pictures called We Need to Talk about AI provides a fascinating conversation about artificial intelligence. Finally, on Friday's show, the panel, we had airline pilot Vaughan Davis on last month to talk turbulence. We had such a run of questions for him about what do you do, why do you do this as a pilot? We thought we'd do an instalment of Ask the Pilot. What have you always wanted to know? Because Vaughan has flown planes large and small, vintage and modern, sometimes upside down. With us is Vaughan. Kia ora, Vaughan. Kia ora, Wallace. And I need to correct you before all my airline pilots jump in. I am not employed as an airline pilot. I have an airline pilot's license, and I have flown big and small airplanes, but uh, that's as far as it goes. But I, I hope I can help. It's good to know. All right. Now, here's one. I'm kicking off with this piece of feedback. On my first ever flight from Ayers Rock to Adelaide uh, school camp, I asked if I could see in the cockpit and spent most of the flight in the cockpit, only to be only being asked to the, to, to the seat again as we approached Adelaide, and I was 15. Vaughan, did you ever show kids around in the flight cabin? Yeah, absolutely we did. Uh, in, in the Air Force, which is where I did my long-range flying in the C-130 Hercules, we invited people to the flight deck at every opportunity. So often, as well as flying you know, soldiers and, and airmen and, and stuff around the world, we'd be flying families up and down the country, and uh, children on the flight deck, always welcome. I was a member of the Junior Jet Club myself, so I understand <laughs> the value of this. Because that was the most experience, we, most feedback we ever got uh, yesterday. It was, I f- what, what about bring back the days of visiting the cockpit? Zoe, do you have a question for our pilot? Have you ever nearly crapped yourself as you're flying to Wellington on a gusty day? 
no, I haven't. I think I, I can understand why someone down the back might feel that way, uh, but certainly up the front, it's uh, it's it's interesting, exhilarating, demands your full attention, and uh, it's a bit of a pilot's favourite, to be honest. Really? I'm, really? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean. You, you're trained to do these things, and uh, you know you don't want to put your airplane into a dangerous position. Mm. But uh, you know, a, a gussy, gussy day with a bit of crosswind—that's that, an interesting day in the office. What's the worst place to fly into? The worst place to fly into—it's you know what—it's probably somewhere you've been a hundred times before. Boredom's the worst thing in aviation, so that—that oh. uh, that would be my answer. Gosh. Well, yeah. that's interesting. Boredom is the worst in aviation. Uh, yeah, because you're not on your toes, David Farrer. Hey, Rod, what I'm interested in, there have been some polls in the US where people respond to uh, things like, do you think you could defeat a grizzly bear in a fight? And 12% of men think they can and 1% of women, which say something about men. And the one which is relevant to you is one of the questions was, do you think you could land a plane with no training if you yeah. know, someone talked you through it? And I think it was a quite astonishing, around 35% of men, a lot less of women, were like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course I could do it. I'd be interested just in your view on how likely you think that is and whether there's a difference between would it be harder to land a small plane or a jetliner um, without training, with someone talking you through? Yeah, first things first, small plane's a lot easier than a big plane. Big plane's got a lot of inertia, takes a long time to slow down or speed up or turn a corner or whatever. Small plane, a lot easier. Um, the, the skill of flying airplanes is a little bit overstated. So, you know, the, the monkey skills, if you like, of you know, turn left, turn right, go up, go down, are not as difficult as you might think. But when you get into big aeroplanes, it's all the systems, it's the flaps, it's the landing gear, it's the autopilot, it's the, you know, all that stuff that makes things difficult. And I know they've uh, they've tested this in simulators and the number of people who can actually do it compared to the number of people who think they can do it, very low. Oh, so interesting. We have so many more questions that we don't have time for. So we're going to have to do yet another instalment of Ask the Pilot. So keep those uh, questions coming for me. Just email me uh, at the panel at rnz.co.nz. Another one here. Do you get sleepy on long flights? Not really. You get sleepy after a series of long flights. Uh, you know, I've regularly flown up to 10, 12 hours. No problem at all. If you're well-rested going into it yeah, and you're well-rested before the next one, it's, it's not a challenge. Uh, but when you go day after day after day, that's when fatigue kicks in. And it's why all um, airlines and, and all civil aviation authorities have really strict rules about crew rest. And it's why sometimes you go, oh, why is our flight cancelled? It's because your crew's gone you know, over that, uh, over that limit for, for flying oh. or operating without having a rest period. And they're very strictly adhered to, and, and for good reason. So flight cancellations may not be due to maintenance of the airplane. It's actually pilots getting good sleep. Sometimes it's yeah. Sometimes it's to do with crew. So if your flights, you know, if your flights the last flight of the day and that domestic crew's doing, you know, five or six or seven sectors and there've been delays during the day and it's going to put them over their duty time, that can be a reason to cancel your flight. Absolutely. Someone says, "I love Ask the Pilot. This is fantastic. Thank you for this." <laughs> We've run out of time and I've got all these questions, so Vaughan, can you come back in a fortnight for 
very happily. And as I say to you every time we speak, uh, let's do the next one upside down in an aerobatic aerobatic. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Hey, David. We'll talk, Wallace. Yeah, no, not anymore. Not anymore. Vaughan Davis, thank you. And David Farah, Zoe George, kia ora to you. Have a great weekend, both of you. Uh, I'm Wallace Chapman. Thank you to Mary Argue for producing the show. Here's a bit of the new Beatles going out. And to Lisa Owen with Checkpoint.